winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Tonight, I'm Marcus Farrow. I'm Chris McCarthy. And we're joined here for the uh, South Coast Tonight Plymouth County District Attorney's uh, debate by District Attorney Tim Cruz. District Attorney Tim Cruz. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having us. And Challenger Rasan Hall. Good evening. So this is the ground rules of the debate. It will be one hour, commercial free. Uh, Chris and I will each ask questions of the candidates. Each candidate will have two minutes to answer. There will be a one-minute rebuttal uh, um, opportunity if a candidate is addressing the other candidate's statements. There's two-minute openings and two-minute closings uh, as well. And if we have time, uh, we've also told the candidates they can prepare a question or two to ask of each other. So uh, we've uh, a coin flip decided the order of the opening and closing statements. So we are going to start with uh, District Attorney Cruz, your two-minute opening statement. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for having us here tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Tim Cruz, and for the last 21 years, I've had the privilege of being the district attorney in the county where I was born and raised. Grew, born in Brockton, grew up in West Bridgewater, live in Marshfield right now. And I've had the, the ability to be the criminal trial lawyer in Plymouth County for the last 37 years, both as an assistant DA, uh, defense attorney, and now the DA. And I think that when you look at uh, when you look at how we've been handling the DA's office over the course of the last few years, it's really a very holistic approach dealing with front, back, and middle uh, dealings with people in our community. We have front end. We try to help people on the front end, whether it be our seniors, our children with our Children's Advocacy Center, kids who are dealing with drug and danger issues, and trying our, to get our goal of trying to get most of our schools right now uh, trauma-sensitive to try to help these children who are having difficult times in their lives, kids with drug, who are drug endangered, uh, who, kids who have challenges. We have other challenges dealing with our drug issues going on. We have our Plymouth County Drug Abuse Task Force, uh, Plymouth County Outreach, and many other agencies that are working together to try to drive the supply of the drugs down and also make sure that we can keep uh, individuals to get them the help that they need and at the same time trying to drive our gun and violence crimes down in the urban communities especially through project safe neighborhood and weed seed uh, on the on the middle on the back end we try to re-entry individuals back with the sheriff's department and the mayor sullivan we have uh, quarry friendly job fairs we're trying to help individuals because 99 percent of the people who are in custody are coming back out to us we have to help them but in the middle we also need to have specialty courts which we do and also hold people accountable for their actions uh, as we go forward uh, i've been endorsed by um, the majority of the police and fire uh, boston patrolman's uh, union former uh, commissioners of boston uh, police willie grass and ed davis uh, da dan Connolly. a lot of bipartisan support also as to what we do I believe this election, we have a clear and distinct choice between my opponent and myself. I'm asking for people to understand that we're trying to, part of our job is to preserve, protect, and promote a public safety in our community. That's what we've been trying to do for the last few years. And I appreciate the opportunity to come out tonight and ask for the vote on November 8th. Attorney Hall. Oh, good evening, and thank you for the opportunity. My name is Rasan Hall. I am a civil rights attorney, an ordained reverend, and I used to be a prosecutor in Suffolk County. I handled gang, gun, drug, and homicide cases and dealt with many people on both sides of the criminal legal system, both as a prosecutor working with family members and loved ones of victims of violence, as well as those who have been experiencing harm through the system. Uh, I'm running to reclaim the spirit of justice because for too long the criminal legal system has not worked fairly for everyone. And so regardless of where you live, how much money you make, the color of your skin, the language that you speak, you should be treated fairly and appropriately in this system, and we have not seen that. I'm also running to raise the level of professionalism, transparency, and integrity within this office. I think for me, we need to care for victims and survivors of crime, make sure that they're treated with dignity and respect. We need to increase transparency and accountability in the office 
we need to make sure that the residents of Plymouth County know what's being done and said in our names and on our tax dollars. We need to be intentional about addressing the gross racial disparities that exist within this system. And we need to make sure that we're engaging the community more so that folks know what it is the district attorney's office does the services that it provides, but also proactively working with community service partners and agencies so that we get better outcomes for the people in our communities. I look forward to talking with the listeners and Plymouth County voters, telling them what I plan to do as the next district attorney and hopefully earn their vote. Great. So we're going to move on to questions. Uh, The first question I have is you're both campaigning for an extraordinarily important job. Who's the top prosecutor in a very large county in Massachusetts? Um, You are the primary overseers of crime and justice policy in Plymouth County if you are to be uh, if you are to win this election. So the question I have is what's your biggest concern going forward if your opponent wins uh, election? We're going to start with Attorney Hall. My biggest concern is that uh, the times have changed since my opponent was appointed to this position. Um, as times change, our understandings change and our approaches should change. That's not been the case. We can talk about the decline in crime or being in the 99th percentile of the most safe communities in the Commonwealth or in the country. Um, but there are a lot of factors that contribute to that. And I don't know that there's a specific policy or practice that my opponent can claim is strictly responsible for that. When I look at the advocacy that I've done as a civil rights attorney and advocating for criminal justice reform, I think it's also important for the listeners to know that one of the things that we found that I've heard on the doors when talking to people um, is the lack of information that is collected by this office when it comes to racial disparities or prosecutorial outcomes. It's 2022. We should be able to audit and look at and assess and evaluate the work that the office is doing, the outcomes that it is producing. Producing and making sure that we're not increasing recidivism or that we're not exacerbating of the racial disparities that exist within the system. And that is something that I plan to do as the next district attorney. Um, uh, D.A. Cruz? Well, I'd be I'll, very- I'll, I'll give you, and, I, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you time to respond to his criticisms and also give you time to answer the question, and then I'll give Attorney Hall time after that. Okay. Um- I, I would have uh, a lot of concerns as pertains to the philosophy that my opponent has here regarding uh, the way that his approach would be, which would be very similar to progressive prosecutors across America. And as we watch what's going on right now in, in America right now, uh, progressive DAs in all their communities, uh, all of their communities, L.A., San Francisco, the urban communities that have had these individuals who have been receiving uh, uh, all sorts of monies for their campaigns and putting individuals into those offices. Uh, and they all have a relatively sim- similar philosophy, uh, defunding the police, abolishing the police, having no cash bail, um, making sure that they, don't, they get rid of life without parole for first-degree homicides, uh, making sure that uh, they have a list of cases that they're not going to prosecute, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, and so when you look at the disparities is what's going on in America right now. And you look at the prosecutors who are not really doing their job to keep people safe. You look at their numbers. Their numbers speak volumes for that. So I would think that, you know, that that's my biggest concern. Uh, it's really not. I think we just have completely different philosophies. Uh, I think that's the way that, that has been going here. And when I look even in Boston, I know Boston's alleging that their numbers went down during the COVID time period. And you can't you can't compare those. You, they're looking at this one study that was put together between 20, 2002, 2018 and 2019. And you look at those numbers. Those are Dan Connolly's year. Dan Connolly's one of my somebody who's endorsed me, somebody who understands you need to look at cases on a case by case basis. And it, it doesn't take a lot of time. You review it. You go through it. You make a determination as to what's the best for that case, diversion, pre-trial probation, let the case go forward. And when you have the the volume of cases that we all have, the thousands of cases, man, pre-COVID, we had anywhere between 16 and 18 criminal criminal cases, 18, 16,000 criminal cases a year. That's an awful lot of cases going through the system. And you have to make sure that you do the best you can with the information that you can. All right, Attorney Hall, I'll give you a minute, and then we might uh, we're going to move on. Sure. I mean, I think it's easy to point to the cities like San Francisco, L.A., uh, Chicago, et cetera, um, and talk about what's happening with progressive prosecutors. But it's um, a rhetorical tool um, that is used by a lot of conservatives because the reality is crime is actually going up higher 
in jurisdictions where there are conservative and more traditional prosecutors. And in a recent study that came out from the Center for American Progress and another survey uh, study that came out from Third Way, which is a more centrist uh, think tank, both showed that where there were progressive prosecutors, crime rose less than it rose in traditional jurisdictions. And there were some instances where crime uh, was declining in some of those. So let's avoid the fear mongering and talking about what these policies can do to make people uh, unsafe. And to the extent that Boston is, quote unquote, alleging uh, that crime was down, um, you know, those attributable to uh, COVID, I mean, we could say the same thing about this county as far as crime being down. COVID hit the whole Commonwealth. All right, we're going to move on to the next question. So um, the district attorney brought up the defund the police. I've read through a lot of your material. Roshana, I mean, obviously, I, I think you're, you're a deep thinker. You've thought a lot about these questions. Thank you. Um, where are you on the defund the police movement? Is that something you supported? Do you still support it? Did you ever support it? So first of all, I the DA can't defund the police. Second of all, I've never called for the defunding of police. And third of all, I think it's we can all agree that there are too many things that police are called to do uh, that are not within the scope of what the original concept of law enforcement or policing is for. Um, or what it, um, you know, what they are trained for. Um, to the extent that I have talked about uh, that issue, it's been either explaining what advocates have been talking about, or it's been about um, talking about how more resources need to go to those underlying issues that lead to people being engaged in the criminal legal system, substance use disorder, mental health uh, issues, poverty, trauma, providing people counseling for those issues. But one of the things that I heard a lot on the door when I was out talking to people is the desire to see a less harmful approach to people who are struggling with substance use disorder and mental health issues. Uh, people wanted to see more of that. They learned from the war, the failed war on drugs, that we can't prosecute our way and arrest our way out of this when people are struggling with substance use disorder, that they need help, that they need support, and that they need uh, services. And so I think that is something that is important to take away from this conversation, and that's what I would do as next district attorney. Thank you. Uh, uh, DA Cruz, your your thoughts on defund the police and the allocation of police resources, you know, more broadly? Well, I, I think obviously defund the police is a huge mistake. It shouldn't be done. Uh, and although you can't, as DEA, defund the police, you can use the bully pulpit of the DA's office to get up there and be heard. And I know that that's what a lot of people have done as pertains to defund and abolish the police. And people write things on tweets and send them out there, and there they are for people to look at. So let's let's go from there. I absolutely agree that mental health issues are one of the biggest issues we deal with, and also drugs. That's why, for the, and that's why for the last number of years, since 2015, we put together the Plymouth County Drug Abuse Task Force, which is also comes out of their Plymouth County Outreach, also comes out of their, the Plymouth County Hub. We are the only DEA's office dealing with mental health issues with people who are high at risk, working in conjunction with the police officers in the four hubs of our county. Plymouth County Outreach is the only county that has all 27 police departments you, having signing an MOU, getting together. If somebody non-fatally overdoses in your town, say Plymouth, and then you, they live in Mattapoisett, they will have a police officer, you know, a plainclothes recovery coach there with information. One of the biggest issues we're dealing with mental health continues to be the stigma. And the next issue that we're dealing with, and we've been dealing with, once again, probably one of the only DA's office in the country, dealing with DECI, drug-endangered children, because the kids who are watching this stuff happen in their lives, they're, 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 they're receiving trauma. They're getting what's known as ACEs adverse childhood experiences. These kids need the help now. So we've trained our police officers, we've trained our first responders, we've trained these individuals to look out for the, the symptoms of kids being in there and how can you get that kid services and make sure that A, when they go to school the next day, they're going to be in a trauma-sensitive environment to help those children so they stay out of the system. That's the best criminal justice reform, keeping these kids out of the system. So we're going to move on to the next question, and it's uh, about the dangerousness bill that was uh, proposed in the legislature that I believe did uh, pass the Senate. But it, it uh, essentially uh, expands the uh, ways in which uh, a person can be held uh, without bail for a number of time, I believe, 120 days district court, 180 days superior court. Um, I, I understand that you both have differing opinions uh, on this legislation, and we'll start with D.A. Cruz. Well, one of the real leaders on this over the last few years has been D.A. Quinn down here in Bristol County. He has been pushing very hard to expand the dangerousness hearing so that we can have more cases involved in there. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we have to, a dangerousness hearing doesn't mean that I can say you're dangerous and you're going to be held. 
What that means is that there's going to be much like a bail hearing. There's going to be an argument. There's going to be a hearing in front of a judge. There's going to be a defense attorney and a prosecutor. And the judge will make the determination regarding the bail and also whether or not somebody falls in the parameters of being dangerous to them, to, to our community. So they'll be held for a certain period of time. So therefore, in my experience, what I've seen over the years is that, yes, we do need to have more cases that we can, like child abuse cases. A lot of the sex crime cases against kids don't fit the parameters of a dangerousness bill. We need to make sure that we have that opportunity. Now, you're not going to move for 58A on the average case. It's going to be a case that jumps out at you with these real, real issues and real challenges. And I know that some people will talk about the presumption of innocence. The presumption of innocence at, is at the trial level. We're going to have a hearing where there's a different standard to be looked at by a judge to make the determination whether or not somebody is a danger to the community. And that judge will make the call. If that judge says, I don't believe that person is dangerous based upon the evidence, then what I will do, what he'll do is he'll either set a bail or set that person, release them on personal and sell whatever conditions may be from there. But I believe that the dangerousness statute, uh, which has been agreed by all the current DAs right now, that there should be changes to it, that we should continue to go forward and make some differences to it. Attorney Hall. I think this is a profound uh, testament as to why the DA's uh, p- the DA needs to be changed. Um, the presumption of innocence applies to an individual from the moment they are apprehended and going through this system. We cannot have um, <laughs> somebody be held and be guilty at, at the bail hearing. Uh, in regards to the dangerousness hearing, I think the the proposed statute went too far beyond. Uh, what is contemplated initially behind the purpose uh, of the bail hearing. And one of the things that was a significant concern was the lack of any guardrails to be placed in the bill that would avoid racial disparities. I think it's important for the voters of Plymouth County to know that under District Attorney Cruz, racial disparities uh, of black people in held on dangerousness hearings has gone up uh, in the last four years. Uh, black people only make up 12% of the county, but they made up 40% of the people who were held in district court and 61% of the people who were held in superior court. Latinx people made up 5% of the county, but made up 15% of the people held on dangerousness hearings in district court last year and 15% of the people held in superior court this year. So we shouldn't be talking about expanding the scope of it without any controls on how it is used. And yes, the judge makes the ultimate decision, but it's the district attorney that is moving for that. There's no analysis or data on how many times people have been held on dangerousness cases or hearings only to have the case dismissed or the dangerousness hearing uh, or the person to be ultimately released. Um, And so without further analysis or discussion uh, about it, then we should not be moving forward with that. D.A. Cruz, rebuttal? Well, I mean, I, I would say I mean, it's repugnant to suggest that we're, we're making dangerousness hearings based upon somebody's race or gender, whatever it may be. Uh, we don't do that. We make a determination based upon the case that comes in front of us, and you make a determination based upon the history of the individual, many of the things that happen in our community. And so I think when you're dealing with a majority-minority community, especially like in the city of Brockton, which is where an urban community, we need to make sure that we do our job. And our job needs to be absolutely race-neutral, gender-neutral, anything-neutral based upon the facts of the case itself and based upon the event itself. So I think that, you know, as we try to go forward, you try to do the very best that you can do with the, inju- in, with the cases that you get, and you go forward from there. But we're not a majority-minority county. T.A. Cruz. We're not a majority-minority county, but I'd like to know where all those numbers came from as pertains to how many came from Brockton, Wareham, Plymouth, or Hingham. State Church. trial court dashboard. Okay. Uh, Chris. <clears throat> so... This county is very different, right? I mean, it really is between the, the communities of Rochester and Mattapoisett and Marion, all the way up to the city of, city of Brockton. Um, what do you think can be done from the DA's office to help even out the crime in certain areas? Some areas have much more crime than other areas. What do you think is behind that? We'll start with uh, Attorney Hall. Uh, you know, I think there are a whole lot of factors that contribute uh, to crime. One of the things that uh, is a strong indicator of someone's uh, re-entering into the system is prior contacts uh, with the system. And so being thoughtful about uh, the sentences that are given to people who are coming through the uh, system. I think it's also important to make investments in uh, the underlying issues, treating substance use disorder, mental health issues, having uh, community-based programming for 
intervention in the lives uh, of of young people. So those are some of the things. But one of the things that I also heard a lot when I was out uh, knocking on doors was the desire to have more data collection. The fact that we cannot assess what it is the office is doing, whether or not the policies and practices of the office uh, are tracking racial disparities or making racial disparities worse. That's something that I am committed to making sure uh, that we do. We don't know the types of outcomes that we're getting on the cases that are being prosecuted or the recommendations uh, that are being made or the impact that the office's policies or practices have uh, on recidivism. And so that's something that I commit to do as the next district attorney. T.A. Cruz? I think that, you know, a lot of the, the problems in our society and lo- that, that end up in our criminal justice system are poverty, substance abuse, mental health issue, issues, which are untreated and unabated, which is why we have been working really hard for a long period of time, well beyond just COVID. Our numbers go back to 2015 with safe streets and things such as that, that we were dealing here in the city of Brockton for a long time. And when you're trying to get people help, that makes a huge difference. And I think that is a, a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of the puzzle as to why crime is down the city of Brockton, where it's up it's up uh, virtually everywhere, every other major city in, in the progressive DA's uh, area. I think that we have to continue to make sure that we help the people that we can help. We have specialty courts, drug courts, veterans courts, mental health courts in the county to get people the services that they need to keep them out of the system and to help them. And a lot of people, especially the, the people who are addicted to these terrible drugs, fentanyl, carfentanil, we need to make sure that the individuals who are peddling this poison are held accountable for their actions because they're killing people. I'm not talking about users. Users can go to drug court. Users can make sure we can make sure we can help them and help them try to get their life back. But it's so challenging. And, and I think many people that end up in drug court, they, they, it's like rehab. It doesn't work the first time, maybe not the second time. But I think that as we continue to go forward, trying to make sure we can get the services of those people, we will continue to watch our numbers go down in Plymouth County. And that's another reason why it, our fatal overdoses here in Plymouth County, we're the only county in Massachusetts where it's down 25%. And all the other ones are all up. So... Um we're going to move on to the next question, and uh, that has to do with um, diversion. So uh, diversion is something that's been brought up quite a bit in DA's races or DA's discussions throughout the country. Um, I know that uh, Rasan, uh, Attorney Hall uh, cites um, uh, Rachel Rollins, and her uh, she, I think, diverted 57% of cases while she was district attorney. And Conley, uh, I think, uh, diverted some uh, a similar percentage, I think 43% of cases. Um, but uh, Rasan Hall, uh, Attorney Hall cites that the crime has gone down. You say that... Uh, uh, that progressive prosecutors like Rachel Rollins uh, essentially lead to more crime. So what is your philosophy, D.A. Cruz, on uh, diversion? How much should it be used? How little should it be used? And when should it be used? Are you are you talking about diversion or the, the no prosecute list? No prosecute. Is that the same thing you're talking about? Let's talk about um, let's talk about the no prosecute list. Actually, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, well, there there are some uh, prosecutors who put together lists of cases that they choose not to prosecute, and some of them, quite honestly, are very disconcerting. Whether it be B and E with intent to commit uh, a misdemeanor, or a possession class B with intent to distribute, or resisting arrest, and when you look at those cases that you're choosing not to prosecute, therefore, then uh, under the guise that somehow it's dealing with mass incarceration. I know that was what's what I always heard. The individuals being held in jail as a result of these allegations, these charges. Nothing can be further from the truth, at least not in our county. As we sit here right now at the Plymouth County House of Correction, we have in the vicinity of, give or take a couple people one way or the other, 80 individuals who are doing time at the Plymouth County House of Correction. That number has gone down almost 50% in the last 10 years. Department of Corrections, same numbers, have gone down significantly. But you still try to make sure you can do your jobs. We need to be looking at, on these lists, we need to be looking at the offenders and their histories and their backgrounds, not just say blanketly, I'm not going to prosecute these cases. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and it hasn't worked in many, many places. So, therefore, why we have a success story going here in Plymouth County right now with our numbers going down by doing it the way that people have been doing it. Uh, that Conley did it up in Boston. Other DAs have been doing it here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, making sure that you can continue going forward and making sure you can make do your job, look at a case, and if somebody needs to be diverted, pretrial probation, dismissed, whatever, that's fine. You can do that. It won't take a lot of time. Attorney Hall. The, the the problem with that is, one, how it's characterized. Um, what was in Suffolk was presumptive non-prosecution of certain offenses to the extent that it was breaking and entering to commit a misdemeanor. It was breaking and entering for a person who was seeking shelter that did not uh, cause damage. Um, so 
let's be clear on what that policy is. Um, it's presumptive non-prosecution. The default position is that we won't be prosecuting it unless there is a justification. And the data shows that people who have fewer contacts with the system are less likely to come back to the system, 53 percent less likely uh, over time and 60 percent less likely um, in the subsequent two years. So it, it does work. And, and I was a prosecutor under Dan Conley. I know what that work was. I was one of the people who were dismissing those cases on a regular basis. And I was doing it because the default position was to not prosecute certain offenses, simple possessions of drugs, motor vehicle offenses, all of the time. And I was a very seasoned prosecutor. I ended up in being in that office uh, for eight years. I think I'm the only person in this room who has ever prosecuted a homicide case and sent somebody to jail for the rest of their life. So we're not going to talk about what it is uh, to make the community safe from the perspective of the prosecutor's office. I think the more we divert people out of the system and get them connected to the services and treatment that they need, the better off that we are as a community. I think what's more disturbing is the fact that this office allows victims of domestic violence to be prosecuted. And although they didn't ultimately prosecute the case of Shauna Fabiano, they arraigned the case. A victim of domestic violence where her abuser uh, was uh, abusing her. She recorded it secretly, not knowing that that was a violation of the law. That abuser went to the clerk's office, had a clerk's hearing. The clerk complaints were issued, and this DA's office arraigned it. DA Cruz. The, the, clerk issue, the clerk issued a complaint. The case was sent to the session. We have somebody in the session that does arraignments that day. If the case gets arraigned, it gets arraigned. The case got sent out. We had nothing to do with the charging. We had nothing to do with the disposition of that case. We would merely, somebody was in there for the arraignment, for get kicked to another case, because it's another office. That happens a lot in a lot of our cases. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that... Uh, you know, Dan Conley, uh, who is a friend of mine, who is endorsing me, by the way, in this race, I'll understand the fact that my opponent worked for him. Uh, he did not just go, go willy-nilly into a situation and say, okay, beanie with intent to commit a misdemeanor. If somebody says they're seeking shelter and hasn't caused harm, that means you're relying on the word of the defendant through his attorney that's going to come to you. It's beanie with intent to commit a misdemeanor. There is no beanie to commit trespass, per se. It's what it is specifically. So, therefore, you have to make an assessment of that. And if somebody broke into your home, and I think you'd be upset with that. So, therefore, that case should be looked at. And if that is something, because that person does have mental health issues or drugs, whatever it is, we need to make sure that we can send uh, them to where they need to go. Okay. Uh, Chris, go ahead. So, gentlemen, um, we had a very big case here in Bristol County, but it did involve a Plymouth County family. That was Conrad Roy, who was talked into committing suicide here in the city town of Fairhaven. Um, it was a really sad case. His family lives in Mount of Poison. His surviving family lives in Mount of Poison. District Attorney uh, Quinn here in Bristol County prosecuted that case. It was a really, um, I guess, uh, a groundbreaking case, really, in many ways. Without criticizing or agreeing with Quinn, I, mean, I don't want to make it about him, but do you think that was a, the right thing to do? Is that something you would do in a similar case? Um, although I, hopefully we never have a similar one. If you're familiar with the case and you feel comfortable commenting Michelle, on it, please do. The Michelle do. Carter case. Yeah, the Michelle Carter mm-hmm. case. No, I'm familiar with the Let's case. Start. And so I worked at the ACLU uh, when that case was pending. And the concern that the ACLU had, and I share that, is how we are criminalizing speech. And as unfortunate and as terrible as that case is, um, we have to be mindful about the way we criminalize uh, conduct. And so I think um, it's, you know, one of the things that I have found surprising um, while being out on the doors is people's shock about the lack of services for victims and survivors of crime and the need to make sure that we are investing in helping victims and survivors of crime navigate uh, this system, that they're treated with dignity and respect and have an opportunity to even in instances where there is an evidentiary burden a barrier that we can't overcome to proving a case, make sure that they are still serviced and get the connections to resources uh, that we have. That's what's important. And that's something from my own experience as a prosecutor working with victims and survivors and talking to the families of murder victims that I know and what I would do as the next district attorney. 
Thank you need Cruz time to respond to the criticism and answer the question. Well, we, we do that every day. We work, we work with victims every single day. We have more than 20 victim witness advocates. We have people who work with homicide bereavement groups. Uh, to this day, I have people that call me up on cases that I did the arraignment on in 1985, and the case is still kicking around in the appeals court uh, on a homicide case where their parent had been murdered back in uh, 1985. And I think having that, that relationship with people is very important, and that's what we have every day for domestic violence cases, for homicide cases, making for any case because every case is really important to somebody. You know, no case is too small to prosecute when it happens to you, when it happens to your kids. You want to make sure that the DA, the prosecutor, is going to look at that case and is going to make a determination for, for the right thing. And as to Conrad Roy, I, I really don't, I'm not very fact-specific on it other than what I've read in the newspapers. I'm very, always very hesitant to comment on cases that aren't mine. I think you'd have to look at exactly what was said and make the determination. Obviously, the Bristol DA made a determination and the case went forward. Uh, I, I would look at it myself and I'd also review everything, which I'm sure other people would do also and make the determination determination on that one back specific case thanks so um next question is uh you know there is a lot of the discussion it was brought up earlier in the debate about um uh you know uh, racial disparities in prosecution in the criminal justice system more broadly it's a it's a statistically demonstrative fact that people of color are more likely to be prosecuted uh sentenced and sentenced longer and harsher uh for crimes uh that white people may have uh, may have committed um so the question is what is your office uh, doing to combat the system uh, the the um, systematic uh, the the racial disparities in the criminal justice system and for DA Hall what would your office do um, uh, to uh, combat racial disparities in the criminal justice system we're going to start with DA Cruz well I mean I, I think that we, we first and foremost cases unfortunately come to us. You know, we don't go looking for cases. People come to the court system uh, for, for a variety of reasons. We already just talked about regarding mental health issues, drug issues, crime issues, things such as that. And so the situation at that time is you try to do the best you can with the information that you get. I'm very happy that, you know, part of the criminal justice reform bill, which most of the DAs were for various paces of it. One of the things that's come out of that recently is that we're going to get the criminal justice data collection, which is a cross-tracking system, which is going to give us information regarding all across the 400 different police agencies, the 14 sheriffs, the 11 DAs, the different trial courts that are going on right now, making sure that we can get the information so we can standardize data collection. That's one of the issues is that, you know, standardizing data collection, when they put together the DA's management system back in 25, 25 years or so ago, the Damien system, that system back then was uh, it, re- it really had issues with it, and it still does to this day. Most of the DAs, for a number of years, have been counting their cases differently and also relying on information that we get or that we don't get regarding uh, somebody's gender or background. Obviously, the district attorney's office are not in a position to ask questions of defendants. They're represented by counsel. Nobody can go up to them. You can certainly rely on uh, a, a, on a booking report, sir, but sometimes you may not get accurate information from that. I believe that the accurate information for the data collection is going to be in the trial court. That's where it is. That's where the probation department is. Right now, you can't FOIA those things because they're um, immune from that. Uh, I think... At, with this device that's coming up through Governor Baker and Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Governor Polito, we're going to be able to get all the information, standardize that data, and make sure we can go forward in a safe process. Attorney Hall? I, I think my opponent's answer is very uh, telling, not this answer, but the previous answer, that no case is too small not to prosecute. Uh, that is particularly the experience of people in black and brown communities. Um, when you look at these racial disparities, a perfect example is the case of DeAndre Burgess, who was a young man who was driving his car past the protests of the George Floyd murder in Brockton. And two and a half months later, he was summonsed for pointing his finger at a police officer. No other threatening gestures, but he was summonsed for threatening a police officer. If he was that much of a threat, why was he summonsed two and a half months later? Why wasn't he stopped when there were police everywhere? That case is still open. Two years later, this young man lost his job. He lost his ability to work with young people who he was mentoring through baseball. So we shouldn't be talking about uh, racial disparities if there's no effort, uh, not uh, if there's no effort to collect and analyze data. We just can't shrug our shoulders and say. This is what just what society just leaves on our doorstep. As far as the cross data, uh, cross agency data tracking system, I sat on that commission uh, uh, that was created by the legislature, and it was me 
who was consistently advocating for the district attorneys to provide their information, to provide the data, to respond to the surveys uh, that they sent. They never responded to uh, the surveys. As far as the Damien system, yeah, that Damien system is, is has been in place as long as my opponent has been in the district attorney's office or has been as the district attorney. Uh, the system doesn't work. Uh, it's time for a change, both in that system and in district attorneys. DA Cruz, one minute to respond before we move on. Uh, yeah, I was I was on that committee also, and, and the DAs told everybody back then also that we don't have the data that they were looking for regarding because of the Damien system. We've been trying for years to get money through the legislature to get a statewide facilities uh, management system program so we can all count things the same way. And that's been um, something that's been, unfortunately, not, not been funded over the course of the last number of years. So we need to, cons- once again, and the case that he's talking about, as he's well aware, because he brought this up last week, that's an active case. And therefore, I can't talk about active cases. Nor will I talk about active cases. I will say this, though. When I was doing defense work, you know, 20-some-odd years ago, I would not let my case, my client linger around that long. I would, I would push that case forward. I would ask for a trial date. I would ask for a motion to dismiss. I would push it forward as best as I could to get rid of it because I don't want it kicking around. Notwithstanding the fact that also the last two years have been COVID, too, which I'm sure that has something to do with the courts being closed. Marcus, I just have to ask a question. I know you can't comment on open cases, Rashad. Maybe you can explain this a little more. I don't know the case, and I know nobody in the audience really probably knows it either, but you obviously both know what he's talking about. Um, He pointed his finger at the cop. What happened? I mean, if you can explain it a little better than that, that that got him arrested. I mean, I pointed the cops. So that's the thing. He didn't get arrested. The allegation, which he denies... Oh, you said he got summoned in, right? Right. It was that he pointed his fingers at a police officer in the shape of, like, gestured as if it were a gun. That's the allegation. Okay. But even still, if, if, if the officer was concerned for his safety, there were police officers all around. Stop him right there. Summons two and a half months later? That doesn't make any sense. And for this office to allow that case to proceed, irrespective of what defense counsel will do, that case should have been dismissed. That's not a case worth prosecuting. That's a waste of our taxpayer resources. And to have a young man lose his job and not be able to be involved in the lives of young people because he has an open case, that's a disservice to our community. But but if you point your finger like a, like a gun at the cops... I'm, I'm so, just, so stop me, right? Okay, pull, yeah. pull me over yeah. right away. If, they, if that's a threat, if I feel threatened as a police officer, right. I want to make sure that... That, that the threat is abated. So pull me over. Call another yeah. officer. I, I think I've gone far enough. I think you explained it. I just didn't know what, 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 it, what was happening yeah. in that scenario. D.A. Chris. This, this happened, uh, this uh, event that I'm not going to be talking about, happened the day after the riot in the city of Brockton. <laughs> right? So that there was a lot of things going on in that riot a couple of years back. So other than that, like I said, I'm not comfortable talking about it anymore. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we should talk about it. Okay, fair enough. All right. So uh, the next question is uh, about the uh, 2020 police reform bill. Um, what's your opinion on it? Uh, do you think that uh, it should have been um, that it should have been passed? Do you think that there should it should have been approved upon? We'll start with DA Cruz. Well, I think there's. I mean, it's hard to say should it have been passed. There's so many different facets to it. I mean, it was multifaceted, uh, and I know that the district attorneys. We had uh, many uh, meetings with our state legislature. We did a PowerPoint presentation at my office with. Um, Representative Claire Croton and a bunch. We invited all the representatives and senators from uh, Plymouth County to come and see where we were at regarding changing the ages of, of juvenile, uh, when the juvenile goes up, when it goes down, uh, and making sure that we can figure out all the things that need to go in. There were a lot of a lot of conversations, a lot of negotiations going on with that. And eventually, you know, they came to where they came to. You know, they developed the Post Commission, which is the Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission, which is going forward now. And I think that was going to be something that's going to be, hopefully, we're going to be in a position that we're going to be able to continue to go forward and make sure that the information regarding uh, the police officers when it goes up that channel that it goes to post and hopefully they're up and running and doing what they have to do regarding bad cops if there's a bad cop out there Uh, i've prosecuted many cops over the years i've prosecuted firefighters i've prosecuted prosecutors you know to me it's all irrelevant i mean if somebody's bad they need to understand that therefore that's why we have a brady list that's why we're making sure we let people understand that you know even if you may not your conduct may not have risen to the level of the brady list that in your case we're going to turning the information over to the defense attorney and that defense attorney will make a determination try go in front of a court go in front of a judge and see whether or not they can use that information to attack the credibility of that cop whatever whatever it may be you know and it may be something that we we have a responsibility under giglio and under brady to turn that stuff over we've been doing it uh, and we'll continue to do that and i know i've gotten off track a little bit but that's it just kind of morphed in that way sure all right attorney hall 
uh, as one of the advocates that was in direct communication with members of the legislature in the immediate aftermath of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, I definitely think that that bill should have passed. The, the ACLU, where I used to work, uh, was one of the leading advocates uh, on that reform package. We had been talking about or advocating for uh, a post-commission p- Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission uh, in the three legislative sessions before this one. So our advocacy is what uh, led to a greater sense of accountability in law enforcement. Massachusetts before that was one of only four states that did not have a post commission. So an officer who was uh, found to have been involved in misconduct could have gotten fired and then go and gotten a job in another jurisdiction within the state and nobody could do anything about it. Your barber is licensed, your veterinarian is licensed, your doctor doctor is licensed, but people that we give the ability to take liberty and in some instances life didn't have to be licensed. So yes, it should have been uh, passed. But I also think that one of the things that I found uh, interesting while I was out on the doors was the lack of training that this district attorney's office has. I've spoken to at least three uh, individuals who had left the district attorney's office and chuckled at the notion uh, that they had received any type of uh, comprehensive training uh, in the role of district attorney. So just like we needed to increase training in policing and law enforcement, we need to increase training in the district attorney's office. And that's something that I plan to do as the next district attorney. D.A. Cruz. Well, I mean, that's an absurd statement. Uh, the uh, the training is, is is absolutely outstanding in our office from the beginning to the end. And whether you talk to three ADAs, alleged ADAs, or three people in D.A.'s office, uh, and uh, I, I find that incredibly hard to believe because one of the important things to do is to train people, make sure they come in, they start in the juvenile office, they work their way up to the district courts, they get some, they all have a mentor when they come in, and we make sure that we get them the best training that we can get them. And I think that our training is up on par with anybody in the D.A.'s office whether it be the Mass DA's Association or whether it be any of the other DA's offices that are going on right now in our county. We continue to do that. We'll continue to do that. And I hear from judges that they, when they go to other, other different uh, counties, they say that our lawyers are well better trained than other lawyers in other counties. I actually want to stay on that topic. Um, I'm, so I, I worked as a bar advocate for some time, and you find that a lot of the, a lot of times, you know, you uh, get a case in arraignment, it's arraigned by a, a DA, and that's an arraignment. You get a case in the pretrial session that's handled by the DA in the pretrial session. You get a case in the third session, the trial session, it's handled by whoever's there that day. Um, what's your opinion on DAs being able to track their cases, understanding that there might be an issue of resources? And again, I'm going to start with DA Cruz. Yeah, there's definitely an issue of resources. I was a bar advocate, too. I, I did that for 12 years, you know, and I represented everybody from trespass to homicide. And I made sure that, you know, that I did my job as best as I could from arraignment. And you're going to get, usually you have an arraignment session ADA. So that person is only going to be hold that case temporarily. It will then go to the next session. And the next session, if it's a domestic violence case, we have domestic violence prosecutors. If it's a gun case, we have a priority first team dealing with gun cases. It may go to that specific way. Also, Superior Court, you know, cases are going to go up to, you know, they're going to go to the grand jury. They're going to go to the next level. But we have ADAs in our sessions, and you have a lot of files, and people know that as ADAs. They know going in they're going to have a lot of cases, and that's why I say to them, it's easy, I think, to say I'm overworked, I'm underpaid. You know, but what's really important are those cases are important to everybody. And that's why you have to talk to the victims and take the time to talk to them outside the courtroom. Make sure that they understand what's going on and you tell them as best as you can. But regarding training and regarding the movement of individuals, if it goes to a gun session, it will go to a gun prosecutor. If it goes to a DB session, it will go to a DB prosecutor. And, and that's the way that it will pretty much go. Attorney Hall. Uh, you know, I think as far as training is concerned, uh, in 2020. The ACLU of Massachusetts filed a lawsuit against the Plymouth County District Attorney's Office for public records requests. The District Attorney's Office said it would cost $1.2 million to comply with that records request, despite the fact that the 10 other District Attorney's Offices complied with that public records request, either for free or a nominal charge. One of the things that was requested in addition to prosecution data and statistics were policies and training materials. Plymouth County District Attorney's Office didn't provide any comprehensive information about training materials, and this was a public records request. So for my opponent to talk about the uh, most comprehensive training that is on par uh, with any other DA's offices, I think that um, speaks volumes about what needs to change in this system. 
All right, uh, Attorney Hall, I mean, uh, uh, DA Cruz. Yeah, no, I mean, the public records request, I mean, the, 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 the ACLU, the Boston Globe, and Channel 5 sent out a multifaceted request asking for us to go through thousands, 49,000 files, documents. That's what they wanted. We told them, what it, pursuant to the statute, if you look at those requests, we're also mandated to give a, a response back regarding how much it would cost. Right. And so we asked them, we're not sure if you want, because it wasn't written that well. We're not sure exactly if this is what you want. If it does, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. But we sure, we're assuming you don't want that. But if you do, let us know, because then we were going to appeal it anyways. So it wasn't going to cost anybody a million dollars to get the records and the personnel issues that were going on at that point. And then, of course, and unfortunately, COVID hit. And we all of our DA's offices talk to each other. They all talk to each other about this stuff. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How does this stuff fit? So as on October 5th of 2020, all the information, because the Boston Globe has filed a more expansive request than the ACLU had, all that stuff went to them. And unfortunately, uh, the individual who had that, who was doing our public records, of which we get more than 250 a year, that individual left that sitting on his desk. He sent it to the Globe. He didn't send it to the ACLU. He didn't send it to Channel 5. So therefore, six months later, during COVID, Rather than picking up the phone, making sure that hey, what's going on with that, we get hit with a, a lawsuit that's being filed. that's signed by my opponent. Uh, it's basically, in my opinion, just so he could be running for DA. Okay, I'm going to give you uh, yeah, to respond uh, to that. Absolutely. Um, I certainly was not thinking about running for district attorney, but that letter that said it would cost $1.2 million was one of the reasons why I decided uh, to run for district attorney. And if it had to cost $1.2 million, why didn't Middlesex, which is a much larger district attorney's office, quote us the same price? They gave us more records than we asked for and more records than your office gave us for free, uh, as did Berkshire and Suffolk and Northwestern Dis- uh, County District Attorney's Office. So the estimate, no one made an estimate uh, that high. Again, we got all of those records either for free uh, or for a nominal charge. Yeah, Chris. And, 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 and I would say that, you know, the, the other DEs, like I said, everybody talks to each other. And because, the reason why they got the records for, were free because their initial request, they toned it down. They didn't want us to go through 49,000 files, which is what they said in their, requ- in their letter, in their request. Once it was toned down, that's when we worked it out with the Boston Globe. Todd, Wall- Todd Wallach, we had filed his request. Uh, Channel 5, uh, Kevin Rothstein, who had asked from them. All that information was there. And so we gave it to the Globe. We ultimately gave it to the ACLU. There were no costs. There were no fines. They went to a big Boston law firm and sued us. Yeah, the the, the initial re- responses from the offices that did comply did not comply to a toned down or scaled down request. Dia Cruz? I disagree. They, they were conversations between the between our offices. And I can't I can't talk for the other offices. I, I don't know what, what went on with them. I do know this. I do know that the information that we gave back to the ACLU, which is all the training and things such as that, which my opponent has, and you can certainly read and see what we've been doing for the last 20 years, uh, or five years, I'm sorry, I went back five. Uh, all that stuff was given out to them. It didn't cost them anything. And we were mandated by the statute to give a price, whether or not the other ones did it or not. I can't control that. So um, I'll give you, uh, I want to e- have you each ask each other a question. You'll each have a minute to respond. We'll start with Attorney Hall. One question, two questions. One question. One question. One question. Uh, Dia Cruz, um, there has there have been um, uh, in response to uh, Shauna Fapiano, the woman who was a victim of domestic violence, who uh, was arraigned by your office on eight felony charges of wiretap statute, a single mother of a three-year-old child who was a victim of domestic violence who had to spend $20,000 to defend herself, and she is still on probation to this point. What would you have to say to her? Good. One minute. Well, I mean, the case was handled by another office. I don't get involved in other offices' determinations. When we send it out, it's their case. It's not my case. I don't, ha- I don't have two cents to throw into it. If there's a reason why a case goes out, it goes out. I would say this. I will stand up and continue, and I have been standing up for domestic violence victims for the last 20 years. That's what I've been doing, making sure that they can remain safe, making sure that we can do our job as best as we can, because some of those people are in the most traumatic situations of their life, and we need to make sure we do the best that we can. All right, D.A. Cruz, you can uh, ask Attorney Hall uh, one question. Um, you have said that you're going to have a no-prosecute list. What cases are you choosing not to prosecute? The presumptive non-prosecution list that would have an exemption to it based on certain circumstances uh, would include trespass, simple possession of drugs, 
um, breaking and entering into an abandoned property where no damage is caused for a person seeking shelter, motor vehicle offenses, traffic infractions. Okay, um, now we're going to closing statements. Uh, you each get a two-minute closing statement. We're going to start with um, D.A. Cruz. Well, uh, guys, I want to thank you very much for having me here tonight. Uh, and I, I'm going to be very clear as to what I say. Uh, I'm going to say this. I have a, a lot of support from police, fire. I have a lot of support from district attorneys and sheriffs across our Commonwealth. Uh, and I will tell you this. I'm against defunding the police. I'm against abolishing the police. I'm against getting rid of cash bail. That's a huge mistake. I'm against getting rid of life without parole for first-degree homicide. And I'm against putting together a list of cases that they will not prosecute for a variety of reasons. But the, the, the main gist of all this is those lists don't work. They haven't worked anywhere. In our county, as we go forward, notwithstanding the allegations my opponent continues to make, violent crime is down 20% in the city of Brockton in the last seven years. Not two years, seven years. 35% people, less people have been shot. 25% shootings have gone down. Our juvenile cases are down 48%. Our um, DOC is down 48%. The House Corrections is down 79%. We need to continue to help the people we can help. And I think what those numbers show us, as violent crime goes down, as the people in jail go down, that the right people are in jail. And we need to make sure that we can continue going forward. 99% in the, the safest counties in America. People need to understand, I believe, that, you know, yeah, I'm not saying I take all the credit for that. I work with a lot of really good people. They're called policemen and firemen and EMS. And they're the individuals who every day put it on the line. And those guys know what's what. And they know who to believe and who not to believe. And they also know who to support. So what I'm asking is this. I'm asking you, my, my opponent myself, we have completely different opinions, if you ask me. I think we're completely on different tracks. So you have to ask yourself, do you want to continue staying positive here in the county of Plymouth? Because uh, and, and, if you do, I would suggest you continue to vote for the DA Tim Cruz uh, on or before November 8th. I thank you for the opportunity to talk here tonight and i appreciate my opponent showing up thank you attorney hall i'm reminded of the words of the reverend dr martin luther king who said that law and order exists to create justice and when they fail in that they become dangerous dams that block the flow of social progress and so when you look at the wrongful convictions that have happened under this administration when you look at the racial disparities that exist in this county that are not being tracked or analyzed or reported on, when you look at the miscarriages of justice and the unjust prosecutions, it's hard to say that this is a system of justice. And that is why I am running to reclaim the spirit of justice. Everything that I have proposed is rooted and grounded not only in ideology, but data research and academic study. I have been a prosecutor. I have sent people to jail for the rest of their lives. But at the same time, I have sat with those same people in restorative justice circles and understood how we can get better outcomes for our community that don't require us to take such a harsh approach and still hold people accountable and still keep our community safe. And so if you'd like to learn more about me and my policies, my practices, my record, please visit hallforda.com. That's hall, the number four, da.com. And you can see why it is a time for change. And I humbly request your vote on or before November 8th. And thank you. All right. That's a wrap on the Plymouth County D District Attorney's uh, debate. I want to thank uh, Attorney Hall and D.A. Cruz for coming in uh, this uh, to, for coming in this evening. Um, I had very important race, a lot of interest in this race. And um, please go out and vote on November 8th or vote early if you can. That is D.A. Uh, Tim Cruz, uh, the Republican, and the Democrat uh, attorney, Rasan Hall. That is, um, uh, go vote November 8th, Plymouth County. It's an important race, and thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in, guys. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, we're still, Chris and I still have a show to do, so stay tuned. Uh, let us know what you think of the, de uh, uh, of the debate. Give us a uh, message on the app chat or give us a call at 508-996-0500. That's how you can get on the program. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. He's Chris McCarthy.